This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, August 4th. I'm Doug Blair. And I'm Rachel Del Judas. On today's show, Virginia Allen talks with Reverend Bernard Randall. Randall used to serve as the chaplain of Trent College in England. He was suspended and reported to England's counterterrorism watchdog and later fired from his position as chaplain after he delivered a sermon on gender identity. Randall holds to the biblical view of men and women and told students in 2019 that they did not have to adopt the school's new gender identity policy. The minister now finds himself in a legal battle with his former employer. He joins the show to explain his decision to uphold the biblical view of men, women, and marriage that cost him his job. And don't forget, if you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. And now, on to today's top news. In a report released Tuesday, the New York Attorney General says that New York Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed 11 women. New York Attorney General Letitia James said that Cuomo sexually harassed current and former New York State employees by engaging in unwelcome and non-consensual touching and making numerous offensive comments of a sexually suggestive nature that created a hostile work environment for women. James also had this to say in public comments delivered on Tuesday. The independent investigation has concluded that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women and in doing so violated federal and state law. Specifically, the investigation found that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed current and former New York State employees by engaging in unwelcome and non-consensual touching and making numerous offensive comments of a suggestive and sexual nature that created a hostile work environment. Cuomo is denying the allegations. Here's what he had to say during an address responding to the findings of the Attorney General via the Daily Caller. There is another complaint I want to address from a woman in my office who said that I groped her in my home office. Let me be clear, that never happened. She wants anonymity, and I respect that. So I am limited but what I can say. But her lawyer has suggested that she will file a legal claim for damages. That will be decided in a court of law. Trial by newspaper or biased reviews are not the way to find the facts in this matter. I welcome the opportunity for a full and fair review before a judge and a jury because this just did not happen. Other complainants raised against me questions that have sought to unfairly characterize and weaponize everyday interactions that I've had with any number of New Yorkers. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio announced Tuesday morning that indoor activities at restaurants, gyms, and performances would now require proof of vaccination status under a plan called the Key to New York City Pass, making New York the first major U.S. city to institute a vaccine mandate. Here's de Blasio explaining the key to New York City Pass vaccine mandate program during a press conference via the New York City Mayor's Office YouTube channel. So today I announce a new approach, which we're calling the key to NYC Pass, the key to New York City. When you hear those words, I want you to imagine the notion that because someone's vaccinated, they can do all the amazing things that are available in this city. This is a miraculous place, literally full of wonders. 
And if you're vaccinated, all that's going to open up to you. You'll have the key. You can open the door. But if you're unvaccinated, unfortunately, you will not be able to participate in many things. That's the point we're trying to get across. The mandate will go into effect on August 16th, but will not be enforced until September 13th. Businesses and venues that fail to enforce the mandate are subject to fines. De Blasio's decision to mandate vaccines has received pushback from New York Republicans. Councilmember Joseph Borelli, representing Staten Island, told Politico it's creating two classes of people. It's discriminatory in nature. The Biden administration says the United States has donated 110 million coronavirus vaccines to over 60 countries. A fact sheet on the coronavirus vaccines from the White House read, Our goals are to increase global COVID-19 vaccination coverage, prepare for surges, and prioritize healthcare workers and other vulnerable populations based on public health data and acknowledged best practice, and help our neighbors and other countries in need. Importantly, the United States has not and will not use its vaccines to secure favors from other countries. Our aim is to save lives. The man accused of killing eight people at Atlanta-area massage parlors pleaded guilty on Tuesday to four of the murders and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Back in March, the man shot and killed four people at Young's Asian Massage while wounding a fifth. He shot and killed three people at Gold Spa before killing another person at Aromatherapy Spa. The plea deal represents the first results of ongoing legal proceedings in the case as the killer faces the death penalty in connection with the other four murders, which occurred in another county. The man claimed he committed the crimes based on a sex addiction, while prosecutors have argued that the murders were racially motivated. Seven of the eight victims were Asian women. The killer will be transferred to a jail in the county where the second set of murders occurred. He is scheduled to be arraigned on August 23rd. Now stay tuned for Virginia's conversation with Reverend Bernard Randall about gender identity. Never has it been more important for us to fight for America. Each day, we see the penalties of progressive policies across our nation. Our elections are under assault, our economic freedom is on the decline, and our culture is turning its back on the founding principles that have made us the freest, most prosperous nation in history. That's why the Heritage Foundation developed a plan to take on the left and take back our country. The Citizen's Guide to Fight for America provides a series of heritage-recommended action items delivered on a regular basis to your inbox. Make an impact in your community and in our country. Sign up for The Citizen's Guide at heritage.org slash citizensguide and join in the fight for America today. Religious freedom is, of course, one of the most sacred rights that we hold in America and across much of the Western world. But what we have seen recently with a rise of woke culture is that some individuals are coming under attack for their religious convictions. And one such individual is Reverend Bernard Randall, who joins us today. Reverend, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. So you are in the middle of a lawsuit against your former employer, Trent College. Trent College is a day and boarding school in Derbyshire, England. You served there as the chaplain for about four years. Uh, But you began to become a little bit concerned over the school's gender ideology and what they were teaching students back in 2018. So take us back to 2018 and tell us a little bit about the concerns that you are having 
over uh, some of those ideologies that the school was beginning to embrace. Of course, yeah. So um, back in 2018, we had uh, a visit from uh, or a training session for staff uh, from an organisation which is called Educate and Celebrate, which is one of a, a number of charities in the UK. Uh, I guess there are similar things in the States. Um, and their goal is to embed gender, gender identity and sexual orientation in the school's life. Um, and on the face of it, that's to prevent homophobic and transphobic bullying, which is a good thing. And, and I don't think anybody would want bullying for any reason whatsoever. So to that extent, brilliant uh, and excellent thing to do. But what happened was that uh, in the training session, it quickly moved from let's make sure everybody's treated well to something much stronger in terms of an ideological position. Um, and it was, it was fairly obviously straight out of uh, what's called queer theory, uh, the notion that actually um, to be heterosexual is just one of many equally valid options, but also that the binaries between male and female, straight and gay, ought to be broken down. Um, so during the staff training session, they had uh, one bit where the leader of the, the session was inviting staff to tr chant about smashing heteronormativity. Um, and the idea of smashing something, it's, it's quite a violent image and it's certainly not one that I thought as a, a Christian school we should be encouraging. And I would say that actually the Christian understanding of what it means to be a human being, the way the Bible talks about marriage and so on, is pretty heteronormative. That's just the way things are for most people. Um, and what we were being told was to reject that, indeed to smash it. Um, so I went to the uh, the senior leadership after the session and said, you know, there are things here that are great. We don't want bullying. Everybody should be treated fairly. No discrimination. But there are elements that run against the school's Christian ethos because it's a Christian school. Um, the Protestant and evangelical principles of the Church of England are what it's supposed to be run on. So I was saying, you know, there, there are problems here. I'd like to be involved in, in working out what we can and can't use uh, from this programme. And they said... Yes, great, we'll, we'll have that discussion. Turned out there was no discussion. It was simply a case of fully implementing the whole thing, including um, in terms of the, the protected characteristics in British law, They uh, there are nine protected characteristics, disability, age, um, and so on. And in law, they include sex. So you can't discriminate against women for employment, for example, and gender reassignment, people who being through or planning to go through a process of sex reassignment um, surgery or treatment. But for Educate and Celebrate, it's not sex and gender reassignment, which is quite a narrow thing, it's gender and gender identity. And as soon as you bring in gender identity, you're into a very different area um, and a very ideological area. Uh, and I felt that was, that was not what we should be doing. Mm. Well, and I know uh, you began to talk with some students and there was confusion across campus about some of these ideologies and policies. Uh, and you actually had a student ask you, can you address this? That's right, yeah. So I didn't go searching for people to, to dispute it, but I picked up over the course of the school year a number of uh, pupils and staff saying, you know, don't know about this, not quite happy with it, a bit confused, or a few just saying, I don't agree with it. Um, and a student eventually asked me, you know, could I, in a sermon in chapel, address the topic? Uh, and the question he put was, how come we're told we have to accept all this LGBT stuff in a Christian school? And I thought the expression have to accept 
was a really interesting one. He wasn't saying which is right or wrong, but do we have to accept it? Is it compulsory? And the sermon I delivered basically said, um, no, it's not compulsory. You don't have to accept an ideology which is other than your own. And that applies across the board to all ideologies. I've always been very clear, you don't have to accept the Christian ethos of the school. If you're not Christian, for whatever reason, another faith, an atheist, you don't have to accept it. By the same measure, you don't have to accept some of the LGBT um, ideological things. So I said, you may, in accordance with the teaching of the Church of England and many other faiths, believe that marriage is properly only of a man and a woman. You may believe that biological sex is real and actually makes a difference sometimes, though most of the time it doesn't. Um, and you may look at the way that gender identity is talked about and think, well, that doesn't make sense. It's incoherent. It's contradictory. And if it's contradictory, it can't be completely true. And so we need to search for what's true and what's not true within that. As Christians, we were concerned about the truth. Um, so that was basically what I said. Uh, and I got into quite a bit of trouble for it. Yeah. So you deliver the sermon, you tell students you don't have to accept this ideology and you really encourage them to think, to Absolutely. actually form yes. their own ideas. And to respect people that they disagreed with. And, you know, there's no excuse for personal attacks or, or abuse of any kind. Nobody should be mistreated. Love your neighbour as yourself means treat everybody really well as you wish to be treated. But it doesn't mean you have to agree with everything your neighbour says. Inevitably, it can't mean that. But it must, does mean respect and, you know, other people come to their beliefs for sincere reasons. They're not just being awkward. Um, so I was very emphatic about that need for respect. And then what was the response that you received from the school? This was 2019. You deliver the sermon. Uh, what was the reaction from Trent College? Um, it was it was pretty bad. I mean, I was uh, called in the, the following Monday for, for what felt like an interrogation with a couple of the senior leadership team. Well, why had I said this? Why was I um, going against the school's uh, introduction of this um, LGBT agenda? Um, and then the following day I was called into the, the head teacher's office and suspended and they took disciplinary action against me um, in the course of which I was reported to the police under the UK government's anti-terrorism strategy. Um, I was reported to the local authority safeguarding for children officer as a risk to children. Um, and in due course, I was um, sacked from my position for gross misconduct. Mm. Um, now, I, was, I, I appealed and I was reinstated uh, by the governors. So that was something. Um, but then COVID hit and the restrictions and the financial uh, impact of that. And they used that as an excuse uh, to make me redundant and just get rid of me because they said, they didn't need a chaplain anymore, despite the Christian mm. ethos of the school. Wow. What was going through your head when you learned not only you're being suspended, but that you're being reported uh, to England's essentially terrorist watchdog group? Yeah. Um, well, it was terrifying. I mean, it was uh, in the course of the uh, investigation of uh, for the preliminary stuff before the disciplinary hearing itself. And I was sent some paperwork just, you know, this is the evidence we're going to be looking at. And in that, um, it said about this referral to prevent, that's the anti-terror uh, watchdog. And they hadn't had the courtesy to tell me they were doing this. It just happened to read it. Um, and, and reading that was, was really the scariest thing ever, really, because you have visions of the Secret Service breaking down your front door at six o'clock in the morning 
um, dragging you off for interrogation, seizing computers and phones and all that kind of stuff that you, you just don't want anybody to go through. Um, unfortunately, it was only a few days before the disciplinary hearing itself, so I wasn't left in that state for very long, but long enough to, to not recommend it to anybody, let's say. Um, and then uh, in the hearing, I was given a chance to ask various questions um, and put my case and whatever. And one of the questions I asked was, um, do you think the Church of England, of which I'm an ordained minister, do you think the Church of England is a terrorist organisation? Uh, and the head teacher said, oh, well, no. And actually that prevent referral came back, didn't meet the threshold for any further action. We should have told you that, shouldn't we? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, you should have told me. Uh, I mean, the relief was just tremendous at, at that moment but um yeah it would, uh, not an experience i would wish on my worst enemy really not mm, wow so you were just for a short time as you say you were reinstated were you having any students or other faculty or, or staff at your school reach out to you and offer their you know support or even say you know maybe we disagree on these issues but i still am sorry for what you're going through there were a, a number of people um staff mainly who who came and said you know how good it was to have me back and and you know a couple of students said oh chapel will be interesting again now you're back <laughs> um, which was really lovely i appreciated that um but nobody had been told exactly what had gone on i just disappeared at the end of the summer term uh, and been missing for a September of the next term. Um, but I was told just say personal reasons for, for why you were away, um, which didn't sit well with me. I didn't like not telling the truth, but I thought, okay, actually this is embarrassing for the school, or it should be, and I don't want to embarrass my employers any further. Um, but I couldn't say too much. Uh, all of my sermons after that were censored. They had to be approved by a member of the senior leadership uh, uh, leadership team. Um, and I wasn't given any teaching. Uh, previously, I had been teaching a number of classes um, and I was refused permission to teach anymore. So I didn't have as much contact with the students um, as I had done previously. And that meant I didn't have that interaction where things might have been said. Um, so I was uh, very much sort of under the thumb, under watchful eyes. Everything I did was being monitored to make sure I didn't say anything that was deemed to be offensive again. Mm. Well, and ultimately, as you said, you did wind up losing your job at the school. Yep. Uh, and now earlier this year, uh, you filed a lawsuit against Trent College um, on grounds of harassment, victimization, unfair dismissal. Yep. Uh, tell us a little bit about that decision to, to sue the school. Well, um, I mean, actually, the, the way that justice works in this country is, is, is clogged and overloaded. So actually, I filed the lawsuit um, beginning of last year it was going to take over a year to be heard um, and the reason for doing that was basically I thought you know if this was just something that affected me you know, turn the other cheek just put up with it live live through it and and come out the other side and it will be okay but I recognized that actually it wasn't just me it wasn't something that only mattered to me other people would not be able to say what they thought. You know, if they can sack the chaplain for saying you may be Christian on these matters, no one else is going to be able to say, oh, actually, I hold to the traditional view of these matters without being closed down and, and potentially asked to leave the school. Um, and there's a wider principle, too, across society of, of these debates. And I just felt, you know, it had to be something that was tested in the court and made public. 
uh, I had to do that. Um, so that's the decision I took um, with a heavy heart because no one wants to uh, get involved in that kind of action against an employer. And, and so many good colleagues at the school that will be suffering for this to, to some extent. And I don't want to see that, but there is a bigger principle. Where does the lawsuit stand right now? Well, it was supposed to be heard last month in June, um, but unfortunately the, the school's lawyers didn't produce the documents, the evidence and, and witness statements that they were supposed to in time. So um, the judge was pretty annoyed, um, as expressed herself as strongly as a judge is able to, to do so, I suspect. Um, in private, words might have been said. Um, but she had no choice but to put the lawsuit back. So it's now had to be relisted for September next year, which is the next available set of dates where there's a long enough period of time to hear uh, what's quite a big and complex case. I see. I see. And I know you're being represented by a Christian legal group uh, in London. Um, what what are, are, are they optimistic about the future of the case? Um, they're incredibly optimistic. Yeah, Christian Concern, um, who have a, a legal team um, and, and sort of fight this kind of case um, quite often. And they, they, you know, people who are arrested in the street for preaching the Christian idea of marriage and then uh, you know, complaints happen and they're arrested. Um, they, they defend them successfully all the time. Um, some cases they win, some they lose because, you know, you never quite know. Uh, but they say that this is, you know, one of the strongest cases they've ever had because it's not as if I said anything in itself controversial. There were, there were no sort of rude words. There was no slur. There was no denigrating anybody. It was so full of respect uh, and moderation that, you know, if, if we can't win this case, then no case can be won at all, I think, is their view. Um, so they have been absolutely brilliant just you know, in terms of legal support, but also moral support. When I was, you know, when you've been sacked, you, you feel very, very low uh, yeah. and they, they kept me going. So um, yeah. I'll give a shout out to them. Um, their website, christianconcern.com. Um, and actually, if you put slash Bernard on the end of that, there's, there's a page with more information available about my story. Wonderful. And we'll be sure to link that uh, in the Thank show you. notes as well. Uh, you know, free speech is something that is obviously so important to all of us. And certainly uh, in America, it's one of our great treasures. Uh, explain a little bit about England's free speech laws for, for those who may not know. Well, um, England, the United Kingdom, doesn't have a constitution, doesn't have a written constitution at least. Um, so we don't have the, the amendments on uh, freedom of speech and the, the separation of church and state. Um, so it's all very much more complicated in, in Britain and you have different governments in England and Scotland with slightly different laws in these areas. Um, and so there are some controls on what's called hate speech. And the question of what is hate speech is very subjective um, and treated more severely in Scotland than in England at the moment. Um, so there's cause to be concerned about free speech uh, in the UK uh, and certainly people who are critical of LGBT ideology and gender identity and that kind of stuff have lost jobs, have been um, closed down in, in various ways. Um, so there's a number of legal cases going on at the moment to sort of test where the law stands. Um, it's, it's easier to be free in your speech um, offline. In the real world, you're much more protected, but actually online communications are governed by stricter laws about not offending people. 
So it's a it's a tricky area, and I hope that one of the things my case will do is clarify some of what the law does and doesn't allow in terms of freedom of religion uh, mm -hmm. in particular, but freedom of speech in general. Before before your case and the incident happened uh, with the sermon in 2019, were, were you aware of any other individuals who had faced maybe a, a similar situation to what to what you had faced in England? I sort of picked up bits and pieces. Um, I wasn't sort of hugely following stuff. I think one of the things that I was aware of was um, the case of Jordan Peterson, uh, the Canadian professor, and the way that he had objected to um, compelled pronouns, uh, Bill C-16, I think, in Canada that he talked about. Um, and, I'd, and I'd heard him speaking in a number of interviews and thought, yes, there is some important stuff here going on. There are significant issues. Um, and because I think truth matters, that's always been one of my things. Therefore, anybody who's challenged for speaking what they perceive to be the truth, and certainly is challenged for Christian truth, um, I'd, so that would be on my radar or pick that up. So I was aware that there was a lot of this stuff going on, but it's only when it happened to me that I really got into just how much there was and, and was sort of reading all the stories that I could find, trying to work out what on earth is going on in our society. And it's, it's kind of scary uh, if you get too far into it. Yeah, I think that's the perfect word for it. It is a little scary. I know myself and uh, many of my friends and colleagues have been surprised to see in the case of J.K. Rowling, who is English and, of course, yes. the author of the famed Harry Potter series, when she began speaking out and kind of drawing a line in the sand and saying a, a boy is a boy, a girl is a girl, and uh, that it was very, you know, it took no time at all before she was really canceled and people were very, very critical of her. Uh, and, you know, she wasn't saying anything against the LGBTQ community. She was just saying kind of, this is this is the science, this is what I believe. Absolutely, uh, and she was and actually supportive of people who are trans and, and want to live their life in the way that is best for them, being able to do so without discrimination or, or bullying or, or whatever, um, but also supporting the right of women to say, you know, a woman is a woman and you can't blur those boundaries. And I think, um, you know, people see J.K. Rowling getting into so much trouble for what she said. And then there's the self-censorship, and I think that's the most pernicious thing. Um, that self-censorship of I won't speak out even when I want to. And if everybody about you is self-censoring, nobody realises that the vast majority of the population actually believe what everybody believed 10 years ago, but they're afraid to say it. And, and that's how totalitarian regimes keep control is putting fear into people's minds So who's listening what will happen if I speak just in a, a humble and honest way about my thoughts and my doubts and, and where I might be because you can't even have the conversation without getting into trouble it seems. So then what is the path forward where do we go from here to really protect freedom of religion freedom of speech uh, you know in the workplace and government um, well, we need to keep fighting the legal cases where these things arise and, and to make it clear that you can speak what that, well, the kind of thing that I was saying and that so many people want to say. Um, it seems to me that actually what would be really useful, uh, particularly in the States, but in, in the UK as well, is to recognise that the LGBT ideology is ideological and is functioning as a religion. 
is not that these are facts which are incontrovertible, like gravity operates at a force of 9.8 meters per second per second or whatever it is. Um, it's not like that. It is an ideology. And if it's an ideology, if it is a religious type belief, then um, in the UK it cannot take precedence over other religious beliefs, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, whatever it might be, or even the beliefs of atheists who just don't want to be involved in this kind of stuff. Um, so, for example, it seems to me that if someone says to you, uh, these are my pronouns, I want you to use them, that's, as far as I can see, that's logically the same as someone saying to you, I am a Christian, I want you to pray with me. That's exactly the same kind of thing. You're saying, I want you to follow my belief system in the thing you're about to do. Mm. And we wouldn't allow a Christian to do that, or a Muslim, or people of faith. Why do we allow the, the gender identity faith to be able to say that? Um, so I think there are legal cases which should challenge that sort of idea. Uh, and once that is exposed, uh, maybe that actually sort of undercuts. It's not normal, it is a faith and people should treat it as such. Yeah. And what's your advice for other individuals who might be finding themselves in a similar situation to you or who are concerned? You know, maybe they're uh, the only Christian, the only uh, conservative in you know, a very liberal setting, whether it's at a school or a job, uh, and they're worried, you know, okay, if, if I have to be pressed on this issue, I'm worried about what, what's going to happen to me. Um, I think that's one where you say to people, be strong, be brave, um, do be sensible, because if you've got, you know, a whole livelihood depending on something and a family and, and losing your job will be catastrophic for them, you have to take that into account. It's, it's only reasonable. Uh, not everybody is in a position where they can speak out. Um, as, as a school chaplain, as an ordained minister, it was my job to speak out and to try to tell the truth as best I could. It's not everybody's job to do that. So you have to pick your moments sometimes. But I think as far as you can, don't let lies be the things that you say. You know, speak the truth as much as you can. If you can't say exactly what you think, at least don't tell the lies. Uh, if you can avoid joining in with the ideology, um, then at, and at least there's some kind of mental reservation. Um, that will help a bit. And you might suddenly notice other people who are having those reservations and you might then be able to just say over the water cooler oh yes I, I noticed you were a little bit hesitant there are you sort of in the same place as I am and, and <laughs> you realize there are more people than you thought and that's a great support um, in everything I've been through the support I've had from people all over the place has been tremendous um, one of the messages from of support was uh, someone saying I can't believe as a gay atheist I'm supporting this cause, but if we lose this our society is lost. And it's, it's that awareness that this is not just something that Christians are interested in or people of faith, but actually it affects everybody's right to free speech. Mm, well said. So as this case moves forward, have you been able to find work or uh, what, what are you doing? Um, well, I'm not working at the moment. Um, so I'm looking for work, but obviously, you know, when there's an outstanding legal case against your employer, future potential employers are going to look at that and they're going to be hesitant. I understand yeah. that. You know, I'm, I'm clear that I've done nothing wrong um, and would do nothing wrong. 
but until the court case is heard it's going to be very difficult for me uh, to find work um, so um, one of the things I'm thinking is maybe I should try and sit down and write a book perhaps about my experience but also trying to explore some of these issues in a bit more depth that might be helpful to other people um, and whether that's one designed for Christians explicitly or just for people more generally who want to explore the sort of freedom issues um, I haven't quite decided that maybe there's two different books there but yeah. um, I'll, I'll hope to do that um, and look for jobs in the meantime well, if you end up writing that book, we will have you back on to, to talk about it. Well, I'd very, like that. Very, very fascinating. Yeah. Reverend, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story with us. We truly, truly appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Daily Signal Podcast. You can find The Daily Signal Podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal Podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.